Wonderful to have you here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Coming up later, Clark Stinks on the air, where you get to hear where people feel that I have not done my job well, have not served you well, or have given out incomplete advice, bad advice, or poor information. Clark.com is our main website. There you're going to find nothing but great scoop and deals, deals, deals leading into Black Friday week. We got for you at ClarkDeals.com. So next Friday, we're going to have a lot of travel deals. It's become a new thing that has grown in intensity each of the prior three years that travel suppliers of all types do Black Friday specials. And many times there'll be airfares to exotic locales, places far away, uh, cruise deals, tour deals, whatever deals. And here's the thing. If you are not an experienced traveler, with many of those deals that will pop up or any sale that pops up, It's hard for you to know when something's a deal and when it's not. To know if it's a good place to go to or if it's not. And I want to tell you that there's been kind of a boomerang effect from when travel agents controlled virtually all travel that took place to a point where travel agents became uh, pretty much irrelevant to now a much smaller travel agency community has become really important for leisure travel. The more complicated or involved a leisure trip is, the more likely you will have a better trip and a lower cost trip paying a travel agent typically an hourly fee for his or her advice. If you're booking a cruise, almost always you'll get a better price from a high-volume cruise agency or a cruise department, a high-volume cruise department, in a regular travel agency because cruise lines give enormous uh, kickbacks and deals to high-volume agencies. A lot of people have great success booking cruises with costcotravel.com if you're a Costco member. And so... With these big agencies, the high-volume agencies, you hopefully will have somebody there with the expertise to deal with, let's say you're going on a safari. We don't really call it that anymore. Going to Southern Africa to go on a visit to a reserve to see the, the big animals in the wild. How's that? Safari was a lot easier to say or going on an extensive tour. If you're a high-end traveler, booking a high-end tour or a high-end cruise, you really need the expertise of that agent. And I've noticed in the brochures from the high-end cruises, all of them are trying to get you to book direct and then saying, or see your travel agent. But they don't mean it. Because they know you're going to get a much better deal than what they're going to offer you if you go to an agent. So if you're booking a big anniversary trip or something like that, 
You want an experienced agent and don't resent the hourly fee you pay an agent. Know that that's going to come back to you in a better experience if you find the right person and better prices almost always. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hi, Clark. I hope you and your family are well. We are doing great, and I hope the same is true for you. (laughs) Thank you. What's going on, David? Well, Clark, um, my daughter's family has uh, always been on the financial uh, edge. Uh, They're one of the 40% of Americans that couldn't scrape together $400 for an emergency. Well, I'm really sorry. And this is your own daughter who you're worried about. Right. And as much as we've tried to help her, uh, they continue to make bad financial decisions. So um, what I'm really worried about now is my grandkids' college education. They're uh, 10 and 12 years old now. And um, I'd I'd like to help them. But I don't really know the ins and outs of uh, preparing for uh, college costs. And I have heard that um, how much uh, the parents have in assets affects uh, kids' ability to get financial aid. I don't know if that uh, applies to grandparents um, or not. So actually, so let, me, I, let me take you through the drill. So a parent's assets, unless somebody's just absolutely loaded with money, which is not your daughter, the amount of their assets that's expected to go towards uh, defraying the cost of a kid's college is actually very small. On the other hand, when money comes from another family member, i.e. a grandparent, the expectations are different. So the way this plays is you can set up what's known as a 529 account, which is a tax-free account you can put up for your grandkids. How many grandkids do you have? Two. So you can set up two 529 accounts with you as the owner and each one of them with a different of these grandchildren as the beneficiary. So each child has his or her own. And then don't use that money for freshman or sophomore year. Because if you use it for freshman or sophomore year, it then affects the ratio of what it looks like family can afford to pay. But junior and senior year, you can pay for each of these kids through the 529 vehicle and not worry that you're going to hurt eligibility for financial aid for them. Oh, okay. Now, for freshman and sophomore year, Under most formulas that colleges use, if you pay tuition direct to the school yourself, you you go online and you pay the tuition, it will not come through as assets of the child. And you'll be okay Okay. helping out your grandkids. So when you say if I pay the tuition myself, you mean through the 529 or? No, I'm talking about freshman and sophomore year. I'm talking about you going on to their account at whatever university each child would go to, and you just directly pay that through. You can either pay typically by paying 2.75% extra you can pay with a credit card, 
or you can link to a checking account and do what's known as an ACH, Automated Clearing House, right from your checking account to wipe out a portion or all of the tuition bill that one of your grandkids would have that semester. I see. Okay, so would it be better to do that? I mean, you can do that for their freshman and sophomore year. What I had considered was just holding back until they finish school and then using our assets to pay their college debt then. You can absolutely do that. The advantage of doing the 529 plan, though, is that if you put that aside, you said the kids were 13 and 11, is that what you said? Uh, 10 and 12. 10 and 12. Gosh, off one year on both of them. I'm terrible. I'm a bad <laughs> listener. Okay, so if you put money now into a 529 plan for each of them, you'll have years of tax-free growth of that money. And then it's spent tax-free. And if you hold that money till junior and senior year, as I explained earlier, you won't affect financial aid eligibility. Great. And That's so I, I would, as part. a first step now, I would do that. And then when one of them's old enough to go to college, call me back and say, okay, now how do I help them for freshman and sophomore year? Because the rules will have inevitably changed between now and when the 13-year-old's ready to go to college. Now, on Clark.com, I have a guide to the 529 plans and which ones you should buy, which ones you shouldn't, and what the money should be invested in in the 529 plan. And do you and your daughter live in the same state? Right now we do, though they've lived in four different states in five years. Okay, Buy the buy then one of the plans that are the green plans on my map. Those are the best ones in the country. And just pick and follow exactly the steps for a green plan and put the money in there and let it grow tax free and it can be used in any state when they go to college. Well, thank you, Clark. And you're a great granddad looking out for those kids. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Michael. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Michael. Uh, first, I want to tell you, thank you. I, I listened to you for a long time, and, and I can honestly tell you, you've made, uh, you and your team, have, I've listened to your advice, and uh, it's made a huge difference in uh, my wife and I's uh, lives. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and I'm glad that I've been able to be of service. So my question is, is I, I've always followed your advice with basically keeping it simple with index funds, and I probably started that back in my 20s, and I'm 43 now. And I was wondering, is that something that you would recommend keeping it in the indexes or switching to maybe like these target um, retirement funds? So uh, I'm going to do something out of school normally. What institution do you have your Roth at? Uh, Vanguard. All right. So at Vanguard, it would be a great option for you to go target retirement fund, probably 2040 based on your age. Okay. Or 2045. Pick one or the other um, and just... Go all in, all the money in that Roth, go in the Vanguard Target Retirement 2040-2045. Okay. And that way, it'll be in a variety of index funds, but over this next half of your retirement saving cycle, it will continually change the allocation to become more conservative as you get closer towards your target date. Okay. Where the index funds pretty much stay static. That's fine for these first 20 years, but these next 20 or so, 
it would be a better idea to be target retirement. Okay. All right. That's what I was, I was worried about. So, And I'm so glad for you that you have had these two decades of being disciplined about putting money aside and building for retirement because you've probably seen these balances grow so wonderfully over these 20 years. Yeah, it, it, compounding interest is uh, quite an amazing thing. Uh, and I guess as I get older, it does start to scare me where I, I know I need to shift uh, more on a conservative uh, portfolio. And what happens for us as individuals is the our emotions outthink us and we become either too conservative or too risky. And so the beauty of letting an algorithm do it is the algorithm is going to automatically change that mix. And in your 40s, we're going to have a correction or a bear market. I mean, you've been through one before last decade when you were in your early 30s, and we're going to have one again. And don't freak out about that because you've got plenty of time for that to cycle through and your money to recover and keep growing. Okay. And the more you continue to deposit in there over these years, the more your dollar cost averaging so that as we go through an inevitable decline in the market, each dollar you put in will essentially buy you more shares in that target retirement fund. And when the market does eventually recover after the next uh, decline, it will be very much to your advantage. Amanda is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Clark. I, I heard a woman say accidentally, I'm your hero. And I have to say, I'm your hero, Clark. Oh. Not accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm 36 and I was able to early retire at 32. So You um, are my hero. <laughs> so, you know, I beat you. I retired the first time at 31, not to be competitive I do, with I you. do know that. I'm, I'm ashamed at how long it took me. So how did you <laughs> retire at 32? I am an engineer and I am a super saver. And super saver, you were saving, to be able to do it at 32, you were saving two-thirds of your pay? 75, yeah. 75%. Okay. Impressive. And have you but chosen up, to still work? Or I you, ended up joining the Peace Corps and volunteering for two years. And then when I came back to the U.S., I could not handle not working. So I went back to work. <laughs> but you work because you want to, which is the best thing ever. Uh, where did exactly. you do your Peace Corps time? The country of Suckertvelo, also known as Georgia. But what, what, we Georgia, used to call Soviet, what we used to call Soviet Georgia? Yes. Wow. So had you ever been to Tbilisi or anywhere else before you got there? Not before that. I had been to Moldova, which is close. It's kind of across the Black Sea, but not to Georgia. So you were prepared because Moldova is actually... Uh, more poor than Soviet, than well, I still call it Soviet Georgia. Than Georgia. Hello, Georgia. Yeah. They, they're, they're similar. They have a lot of things in common, which is one of the reasons I wanted to go there because I really love Moldova. Well, how about you? That is such a wonderful life story. So I want to know from you what would you say to people who are living like one whisker from financial disaster, how did you resolve that you were going to live on so much less than what you make? I think 
the reason that I got to where I was was I had very horrible examples and I had one horrible example in my mother. And from that, I was able to make a good thing. Um, yeah. Well, we, our parents teach us a lot of things and, uh, one of our, I, I learned what not to do. <laughs> one of our staffers grew up in a family where there was very poor money management, and he's become an extreme saver and is completely financially independent. So sometimes the worst examples lead to the best results, and that is a fantastic story. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and avoid getting ripped off. Pretty clear mission we have, right? So in order to deliver, you expect clear, understandable, and certainly correct advice and information from me. But there are times that I fail any of those tests. And when I miss the mark, I need to hear from you. And that's why we have clark.com slash clark stinks you can go to clark.com slash clark stinks and see where i have disappointed others you can comment on any of those posts if there's something that i have done that aggravated you or disappointed you or infuriated you please start your own post on clark stinks and write what you want to say others can comment on it agree disagree and then weekly our producer krista goes through all the posts and shares highlights with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. I don't understand why Clark blames the banks calling it a ripoff when they charge overdraft fees. Why shouldn't someone pay a fee for this? The banks are using other people's money, maybe even yours, Clark, to pay the overdraft amount. Instead, why not advise people not to write checks that they don't have enough money in the bank to cover? Doreen. Doreen, um, that is completely true. But the overdraft junk fee that I've talked about concerns when a bank knows you don't have any money in your account and approves a transaction anyway usually tied to a debit card, and the bank is doing it as a trap because you have to give the bank permission to cheat you, to rip you off with that massive uh, overcharge for an overdraft that they already knew you didn't have money for. So the banks use wording to make it seem like this is a benefit when it's actually a curse to your wallet. So if you have been tricked by a bank into signing up for overdraft fake word protection, go in and revoke that so that if you have not kept a good track of your balance and you're going to overdraft your account, you'll just be declined for the transaction, which is the best thing to happen. Pardon my rudeness, but will you please shut up about 403B plans? The issue is not whether you have a 401k or a 403B but whether you're with a low-cost provider. The two largest providers of 403Bs are TIAA and Fidelity, your low-cost go-tos. In terms of assets, they are also the two largest providers of 401Ks. I've had accounts with both of them for 35 years, and they charge me only the already low management fees on their funds. 
If you're going to warn your listeners about the plans, warn them about the high-cost providers, not the 403Bs, Ed. Ed, thank you for that post. And what I've said in the past is that if you, specifically referring to TIA, T-I-A-A, that if your plan is with TIA, you can uh, rest easy. And the problem is that most plans being offered to teachers are not offered by TIA or Fidelity and people are getting gouged with massive, massive fees and commissions and surrender charges. And there's no reason that teacher plans should come without the investor protections that come with 401ks. And this is the fault of Congress listening to the insurance companies instead of doing what's best for our nation's firefighters, police officers, nonprofit workers, and teachers. Clark, the stench of your hypocrisy has become unbearable. As a longtime listener, I recall not long ago you being outraged when an enterprising person bought a pickup truck full of generators and drove them to flood victims in the Gulf states. The purchasers were then were happy to pay a premium for a product that was in short supply and high demand. Contrast that to the praise you gave the wonderful and entrepreneurial person who drove across state lines to deliver Krispy Kreme donuts at a profit. Clark, you should stay true to your free market ideals and recognize in both cases individuals risked their own time and money to deliver products that were in high demand. Ralph. Ralph, I appreciate your post. So the thing about what happens in the aftermath of a major natural disaster is that this is this is a real conflict inside me as somebody with heavy libertarian leanings is that the marketplace sorts it out a lot quicker and generates supply a lot quicker if you allow people to gouge other folks in the aftermath of a natural disaster or other emergency. At the same time, it has been accepted as good public policy in a number of states that are subject to violent storms that you cannot raise prices during a storm event beyond a certain level to prevent profiteering. Uh, you know, hotels not being able to raise their prices to a zillion dollars, gasoline stations not being able to raise a gallon of gas to a zillion dollars, that kind of thing. So I'm not certain what the right pricing mechanism is, but allowing unlimited pricing during people's desperation following a storm is something that I think is not okay. I never hear you advising parents and kids thinking about college to serve in the military first to get their college largely paid for. Plus, they learn how to be an adult while in the service. That is a great suggestion, and you're right that I should say that more often than I do. And you sound like somebody who has served in our U.S. military, and if so, I'm grateful to you for having done so. Hey, Clark, thanks for everything you do. You almost always give great advice, but I think your strategy for online savings accounts stinks. Listeners shouldn't be interested in whatever bank is offering a great teaser rate on a given day. They should want a bank that consistently offers a great rate over time. Are there any sites that track this statistic, Matt? Matt, interesting question, and I'm not aware that there are. As a general rule, the online banks are paying within a certain band that for a good long period of time had been from the low twos to the high twos 
1.5% and now is residing pretty much at 1.5% to a whisker over 2% as the economy has slowed down some. And so even if one is paying more than another today, not necessarily will it pay more than another tomorrow, but the trend is your friend if you go with one that is paying in the general band of what the online banks are paying, you're going to be doing so much better than you would with any traditional physical bank that that's really the most important distinction. Lots about this topic. Clark definitely does not stink, but I've heard him multiple times when giving advice about if a person should take a lump sum distribution or payments from a pension, he almost always says, leave it alone and draw payments. I have not once heard him refer to the fact that most pensions stop when the former employee passes, so that money would be better served for the survivors if invested in a good retirement account. Thanks for all you do. Clark. Well, Clark, what a wonderful name you have. So anyway, um, I, I have a pension that will start next year, and I'm doing life plus 100%. So I'm going to take a significantly smaller monthly check so that my wife, when she becomes my widow, will continue to receive the same amount for the rest of her life. And with most pension plans, you have that option to reduce your monthly check so that your spouse will get uh, the same amount forever. A lot of plans are you get 100%, then your spouse gets 50, or they'll give you the choice of, 100 and 0, 150, 100 and 100, and I chose 100 and 100 because I'm not really worried about me, but I want to make sure that my wife is well taken care of. While recently listening to your podcast, I heard you speak about the Uber credit card with the caller. You informed the caller the Uber card rewards is Uber cash only. This is not true, and I believe you should correct this information. I strictly use my Uber card for dining purchases and use my cash rewards to pay off my statement with no issues. Uber cash is only an option, just like purchasing gift cards. With 4% on dining, this card's a great option to use along with others. Andrew. Andrew, you are correct that one of the options is you can use it to pay your balance on your bill, and so it is a very effective way to use the cashback rewards to get a really significant reward on that card. And 4% on meal purchases is, as best I know, pretty much the best out there. And another credit card one, Clark, I'm not sure if you stink, but having people spend $90 on an annual fee to a card for trip insurance is not necessary when Chase offers another option for free. I have the Chase Freedom 1% cashback card, and I just checked, and it does still offer trip insurance. I know 1% is not great, but I'd rather make $90 a year in cash back than spend it, Joshua. Joshua, thank you. I was not aware of that card being available as a fee-free way to get trip insurance, and I will certainly check that out for my own benefit as well. Clark certainly doesn't stink, but on a recent call, he told a listener that any micro SD card in a size usable in a dash camera would be in the range of 5 to $10. While this is true, it should be noted that a card rated for constant overriding is the best option, as these will hold up much better over time. The unfortunate downside is that these cards tend to be closer to 10 to $20. Keep giving great advice, Sean. Thank you, Sean. And with a um, dash cam... Some take an SD card, some take a micro SD card, so know which before you buy one so you don't buy a card that you can't use. 
I don't think Clark stinks, but I disagree with his response to a woman who wanted to know what kind of part-time gig she could get to help ends meet. You stated there are very few freelance work-at-home situations that are not scams. I beg to differ. I know a woman who's an accountant by day and gets paid in her off hours to help people do their taxes or make a budget. A teacher who makes a wood-based art in his free time and shows his work in galleries. And a hyper-organized bank teller who helps people organize their closets and downsize their belongings. I'm a researcher and writer by day and a freelance editor and writer in my off hours. I make almost half my daytime salary in freelance income, which I've used to help my son pay for college and his apartment in an expensive city. Clark, many people have hidden talents that may or may not have anything to do with their day jobs. Carol. Carol, thank you. Thank you for that post because you're completely right that the best part-time gig is always drawing on skills or experience or education or training we already have. And your explanation of that was perfect. I appreciate you taking the time, all of you, to post at Clark Stinks. When you feel I have come up short, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. Gary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gary. Hi, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Gary. You want to be a snowbird. Yes, I do. And I also want to add that I finally get to talk to my exercise partner. Oh, see, so you listen to the podcast while you work out? Yeah, exactly. Well, so, you know, um, most people tell me when they listen to me, it helps them get over insomnia, that they fall right to sleep. But in your case, <laughs> it helps you exercise. That's great. Yeah, instead of sweating to the oldies, I sweat to Clark. All right. Yeah, listen, we, we're talking about uh, taking a month or so, January or February, going to Florida. And I didn't know if there was a, uh, just like um, airline tickets, you know, you always talk about the opportune time to book uh, that. And I was wondering if there's an opportune time to book a vacation stay, an extended vacation stay in Florida for the season. Not necessarily. I mean, as you get closer to time, bookings that have not filled up the owner of a property like on airbnb may offer a deal for particular weeks or for a month when they normally would have booked up and maybe somebody canceled or they just haven't been able to find the tenant for a period of time they may offer a deal so it's really hit or miss but okay the more important win is that january a rental that starts early January right after the New Year's and for a month will usually be cheaper than a rental that starts in February. Because even though January is in the peak of the cold weather season, it tends yeah. to be a cheaper month than the rest of the peak season. Oh, because people are still tied up with the holiday, so they're less or, or they're to- out of money. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing is that think about people who live in cold climates where winter just feels like it gets so long and the darkness really gets to them and the cold and all that. And they hit a point where they're just like, I've had enough. I got to get away for a week or two or if they can for a month or two. And that tends to happen more. The surrender to winter really happens more february march then it's going to happen in january okay that makes perfect sense now um would you have a sense for whether perhaps the two we've looked at with tampa and uh 
and uh, Panama City or Pensacola. And I All right, know so that Panama City, Pensacola, it's off, off, off season then. And the weather will be um, not as warm as if you were as far down as St. Pete, Clearwater, Tampa Bay area. Uh, it will be, uh, the nights can be chilly. The days probably typically in the 60s, which uh, somebody living in the upper Midwest in Minnesota, Wisconsin, whatever, they're like, that's something I'm complaining about, you know, only being in the 60s. But if you go further south into the Tampa Bay area, you're more likely to have daytime temperatures in the 70s. And, and consequently, probably more demand for properties and, and more expensive. Rent. So if you go um, St. Augustine north on the Atlantic or you go along the panhandle on the Gulf of Mexico side, you're looking at really bargain rates going January or February because it is off-off season. Okay. Well, that that's good advice. I appreciate it. Uh, um, we, we've never done this before, so it'll be a, a new adventure. And, and uh, booking but, on Airbnb, you want, uh-huh. you want a property that shows you a ton of pictures. You want somebody who's got a ton of reviews and you want to really read those reviews. Uh, can you generally believe the reviews? N- only, only with reading a lot of them, you know, the, uh, the smaller number of reviews there the less likely it is they're going to be credible. So it really is the overall body of work um, that is there of a place that's had tons of rentals. That's when you get a real sense if the place really is going to be a good place to stay. But one other thing you might do is do a quick getaway where you drive down or fly down to an area in Florida you think you're going to stay, look at properties in person and then you're able to rent one that you know with confidence is going to be a good place to spend a month. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.